Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. So during our worship, during one of the songs, it says, whatever lay pat, or whatever, I think, whatever lay past, is that right? Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be seen, right, when the evening comes. And as I was thinking on it and how it relates to our portion this week, I feel like we have, uh, between last week's portion and this week's portion, we have a tale of two Jacobs. Um, we have the first part of his life where he was obtaining the birthright and the blessing. And now we come into a new chapter of his life where he's heading north to find a bride. And I see within his life there's, there's two seasons. One season of his life is passing away. And in that there's a death. And, but then he's going out to obtain a bride, and he's actually walking in a, a new identity. Now, he doesn't have a new name yet, right? The new name doesn't come until later. But he has a, he has a new identity, and I think uh, I see that take place in his encounter at Bethel when God appears to him, when he sees the ladder coming down. So we're going to talk about... Today, overcoming the past and pressing on to what lies ahead. And a few verses that were standing out to me during worship. One was from Isaiah 43. The Lord says in Isaiah 43, 18, Do not call to mind the former things or ponder the things of the past, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Likewise, Paul, speaking in Philippians 3. Verse 13. He says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Yeshua Messiah. Right. And that's what this is uh, such a, an important theme for us, right? That God has given us everything that we need to be overcomers. To be able to walk in newness of life that he provides. That we ourselves couldn't obtain. You know, we can go out and we can seek success. We can seek what we behold as being good. And we can do everything within our power to achieve that. But without his provision, without his hand, without his presence, what do we actually obtain? We can only find satisfaction in him. And, and when we walk in his righteousness, 
And when we place our trust in him and go according to his provision, his power, his character and nature, then we can truly be fulfilled and succeed in what he's called us to do. So I, I see that as where, where Jacob is. Um, if we do a little recap, right? So he was the one who was born second of two, two, of, of two boys. They were twins, and he came out grasping the heel of his brother, and that's how he got his name of Jacob. And within the, within the name of Jacob is there a connotation with deception, one who grasps the heel. And so early on in his life, he obtains uh, the birthright from his brother, selling him a, a pot of beans. And then later on in his life, he deceives his father and receives the blessing that Isaac intended to give to Esau. And when Esau hears of it, he says, you know, is he not rightly named Jacob, for he's deceived me these two times. So here's Jacob going out to ob obtain according to how he sees that he can take hold of blessings and goodness. And what does he have? When, he, when we open up this portion, he's fleeing the land that is promised to him as an inheritance. He's having to leave his father and his mother. He no longer has a brother who, who he can really call a brother, right? Because his brother desires to see him dead. And now he's, le he's leaving, so he's going into exile. He's lost his family, his home, his brother. Yeah. It had to be unsettling. And at a point where he might even be saying, what did I just do? Right? Because he knows that he deceived his father. So I think he, he may have been in a bit of a crisis uh, in questioning what's the path forward. And so that's where we open up with this week's portion. In Genesis 28, verse 10. I'm going to read through 29, verse 1. The scripture says, Jacob departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran, he encountered the place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took from the stones of the place, which he arranged around his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamt and behold, a ladder was set earthward and its top reached heavenward. And behold, angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord was standing over him. And he said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham, your father and God of Isaac, the ground upon which you are lying to you will I give it and to your descendants. Your offspring shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread out powerfully westward, eastward, northward, and southward. And all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you and by your offspring. Behold, I am with you. I will guard you wherever you go, and I will return you to this soil. For I will not forsake you until I, have, I will have done what I have spoken about you. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is present in this place, and I did not know. And he became frightened and said, How awesome is this place? There is none other, this is none other than the abode of God, and this is the gate of the heavens. Jacob arose early in the morning and took the stone that he placed around his head and set it up as a pillar. And he poured oil on its top, and he named that place Bethel. However, Luz was the city's name originally. 
Then Jacob took a vow, saying, If God will be with me, will guard me on this way that I am going, will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear, and I return in peace to my father's house, and the Lord will be a God to me, then this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall become a house of God, and whatever you will give me, I shall repeatedly tithe it to you. So Jacob lifted his feet and went toward the land of the Easterners. So here he is fleeing for his life, and he comes to the place, right? The scripture refers to it as the place, as though it's a place we should know or that Jacob knew. And according to uh, the sages, this place was Mount Moriah, the place where Isaac had been offered many years prior. So it was a place that he would have known. He, was, he knew it as a place where everything was laid down at a time when all looked as though it were lost, but yet God brought resurrection life out of that place, right? There was a new beginning in Isaac's life when he was, was spared and the ram was given in his place, right? So now here's Jacob going to that very place and he encounters God and God tells him, I will be with you and I will do unto you according to all that I have said. So here with this encounter, I think a transformation was taking place in Jacob. Just as each of us need an encounter with the Lord to have the transformation to take us out of despair, out of a place of feeling like all is lost and giving a renewed hope of going forward and saying, okay, God has said that he would be with me, that he's not going to leave me or forsake me, that his promises are yes and amen, and now I can go and trust in him to give me my bread and my clothes to wear, right? So he lifted his feet and went toward the land of the Easterners with a new hope for his future. So then that takes us to, he, he heads up to Haran, and... He comes to meet his future wife. Let's read in Genesis 29, verse 9. Okay, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel had... Okay, so he came up and he saw the people with their flocks by the well. And he stops. And while he was speaking with the people there, Rachel arrived with her father's flock, for she was a shepherdess. And it was when Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother... And the flock of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came forward and rolled the stone off the mouth of the well and watered the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel, and he raised his voice and wept. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. Then she ran and told her father. And it was when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran toward him, embraced him, kissed him, and took him into his house. He recounted to Laban all these events. And then Laban said to him, Nevertheless, you are my flesh and blood. And he stayed with him a month's time. Then Laban said to Jacob, Just because you're my relative, should you serve me for nothing? Tell me, what are your wages? Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger one was Rachel. Leah's eyes were tender, while Rachel was beautiful of form and beautiful of appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will work for you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I give her to another man. Remain with me, 
So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him a few days because of his love for her. All right, so when you read the Bible, do you ask questions? You know, I, I like to think that I do, but oftentimes I just miss obvious questions that need to be asked, okay? And uh, so I had some new, new, new questions that were presented to me. Not that I saw the questions, but I read other people had observed the questions. So now I'll share those with you. Um, okay, so one of the things is, how does this encounter with Laban differ from the encounter that Eliezer had with Laban? Okay, because there's some similarities and there's some differences, right? Eliezer, when he was sent from Abraham to go find a, a wife for Isaac, you know, he, he went, he came to the well, he encounters Rebekah. Rebekah runs and tells her, uh, her father and her brother Laban about who has come. In fact, here, let me jump over to it from Genesis 24, verse 38, I believe. Sorry, uh, Genesis 24, verse 28. The maiden ran and told her mother's household according to these events. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran to the man outside to the spring, for upon seeing the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's hands, and upon hearing his sister Rebekah's words, saying, Thus has the man spoken to me, he approached the man who was still standing by the camels by the spring, and he said, Come, O blessed of the Lord, why should you stand outside when I have cleared the house and placed in place for the camels. Okay, so Laban ran out to him, and he said, come, blessed of the Lord, I've made room. This is fantastic. That was to Eliezer, who had the 10 camels and the gold bracelets and stuff like that. But with Jacob, he runs out. He runs, he ran toward him. He embraced him, he kissed him, took him into his house, and he's thinking, this is good, this is great. And then he finds that Jacob has no money. And he says, nevertheless, you're my flesh and blood. <laughs> a little different reception, right? Now, so Laban's treating Jacob differently because Jacob didn't, Jacob didn't come with any wealth. So why didn't Jacob come with any wealth? Eliezer, Abraham had sent Eliezer with a huge bride price. said, go, find a bride for, for Isaac take these camels and an abundance of wealth with you as the bride price. So why did Jacob go with nothing? Wouldn't you? Yes, it was stolen. There you go. Nice. Nicely done. So this is the thing, because you would think that surely, um, surely Isaac would know that he needs to send a bride price with his son, and we know that Isaac is extremely wealthy. Because that's, you know, it talks, uh, the scripture talked about how when he went into, uh, I think it was Gerar, and he built up flocks and cattle and everything, such, so much so that Abimelech said, get out of here. You know, your wealth is too great. So Isaac was incredibly uh, rich. And now Jacob, being the one who has the birthright and the blessing, surely would have been given wealth and riches as he goes out on the same type of journey to find the bride who will be the mother of, of this continued seed of promise, right? So, um, according to tradition, Jacob did leave with great wealth on, on his trip. 
However, Esau sent his son Eliphaz in pursuit of Jacob. And Eliphaz overtook Jacob and was seeking to kill him. But Eliphaz, having been raised in Isaac's house, couldn't bring himself to kill Jacob. Okay? So, so Jacob said, all right, you know, you do need to tell your father something, you know, because he's told you to come and kill me. Um, you need to be able to tell him that I'm dead, but how can you do that without killing me? And so he said, here's what you do. Take all of my wealth, take all of my belongings. And because a, a poor person, a destitute person, is like unto a dead person. Okay, and that's, that's what the teaching of the sages is that, um, well, there's four, there are four types of people that are like unto a dead person, a an impoverished person being one of them. So he said, now go back to your father and tell him I'm as dead. Okay. So now Jacob is going forward with nothing into a land that's not his own. So now he really has, he's lost everything now. You know, wealth being a status and an identity. He's like, I got the birthright, I got the blessing, but what do I have? I have nothing. And I'm fleeing for my life. Now, I don't know when that would have taken place, when Eliphaz would have, would have come to him, but I think it was before he got to Bethel. And the reason why I think it was before he got to Bethel was because of what he said in Genesis 28, 20. After he had had his encounter with the Lord, he said, if God will be with me, will guard me on this way that I'm going, will give me bread to eat and clothes to wear. Does a rich person say that? A rich person isn't thinking about, well, how am I going to eat and how am I going to get clothes? He's saying, look at all my wealth. But Jacob's saying, well, if God will be with me and if he'll give me food, if he will give me clothes to wear, then I will know that I will return to my father and, and this will be my God. So I, so I believe that he had come to a place of complete loss. But then in that moment, in the depths of darkness, God appeared to him and gave him a new hope and gave him a new start. It's kind of like a do-over, right? A chance at a do-over. <laughs> I don't know who all would like a do-over, but I know there's a lot of times you can think, you know, if I had to do that over again, I'd do it a little differently, right? So perhaps Jacob would say, you know, if I had the first part of my life to do over again, maybe I'd do it a little differently. And so he's turning over a new leaf now at this point. He's now heading into a new land with a renewed hope and going into a place where he can leave the deception behind him and be willing to not look to himself as the provider or the one who's going to make the way but looking to God who's going to, to make the way for him. So he comes up again, and, and he had come to the well, and Rachel came up, and the scripture says that he lifted his voice and he wept. Right? He raised his voice and he wept. Now sometimes people think, oh, he's weeping for joy because he just encountered Rachel, who will be his wife. But that's not how the sages understood this. They understood this weeping as, as being 
one of sorrow. You know, and there's a couple of reasons why the thought was that it would be of sorrow. One, uh, an idea was that he was able to see, he had like a vision of the future and saw that Rachel would die early and he would not be buried next to her, right? But on the other side, another, uh, another understanding was that he wept because he knew that he had nothing for which to purchase his bride. And so now, the story wasn't going, wasn't going to go like it did for Eliezer, who came and took Rebecca back immediately, right? He came, he stayed one night, got up the next morning and said, let's go. You know, Laban and them were like, wait, 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 stay, let Rebecca hang out for another 10 months or a year. And Eliezer's like, no, I need to get back, bring, uh, bring success to Abraham's vision. So he was able to take Rebecca back the next day. But Jacob was saying, I don't have a way to make this happen. And so then he had to make a deal with Laban and say, I will labor for seven years. And the weeping would have been for the seven years that were lost that he otherwise could have had with his, with his wife. Right? So even though he was turning over a new leaf and he was going into a new, you know, a, a new life, there were, there were still consequences of where he had been before that went along with him. But through it, through it all, through trusting in God and walking in righteousness, he would be able to overcome all that, all that had beset him from before. Okay. And one of the, one of the, another note that is about kind of tying this into this being a consequence of what had taken place, is that the scripture also uses the same phrase about uh, raising his voice and weeping with Esau. Right after Jacob had taken the blessing, right after he'd taken the blessing from Esau, Esau speaking with his father in Genesis twenty-seven thirty-eight. Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, father? Bless me too, father. And Esau raised his voice and wept. Right? So in both cases, these, these two men had seen an opportunity or, or something pass by that there was nothing in their power that they could do about. And it was, it was remorse. And so Esau's weeping was now carrying over to Jacob as well. He was bearing the fruits of, of what he had sown in that degree. So now, this wasn't the only time that Jacob would face challenge because of the deception that he had carried on. If we, if we continue on with the story of Laban and his daughters, we can read in Genesis 29, verse 20. So Jacob worked seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him a few days because of his love for her. Jacob said to Laban, deliver my wife, for my term is fulfilled, and I will consort with her. So Laban gathered all the people of the place and made a feast. And it was in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he consorted with her. And Laban gave her Zilpah, his maidservant, to do a maidservant to Leah, his daughter. And it was in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. So he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I worked for you? Why have you deceived me? And Laban said, such is not done in our place to give the younger before the elder. Complete this week of this one, and we will give you the other one too, for the work which you will perform for me yet another seven years. 
So Jacob did, did so, and he completed the wheat for her. And he gave him Rachel, his daughter, to him as a wife. And Laban gave Rachel, his daughter, Bilhah, his maidservant, to her as a maidservant. He consorted also with Rachel and loved Rachel even more than Leah and worked for him yet another seven years. So here, Jacob was deceived by Laban with having received the older daughter rather than the younger that he had worked for. And I don't know if you saw this, but Laban said, such is, such is not done in our place to give the younger before the elder. Don't you know that that stung a little bit to Jacob? Because Jacob had just come from a place where he acted outside the norms to put the younger before the elder. And now he comes here and Laban says, well, we don't do it like you do. We don't put the younger before the elder. Yikes. So that, that had to hurt a little bit. So, so even after the seven years of faithful service, Laban was still seeing Jacob according to his old nature. He was saying, you're still that deceiver. Right? But Jacob wasn't walking according to that anymore. But in, in Laban's eyes, that's what he perceived and that's what he expected. But Jacob works for another seven years, and he, he faithfully serves a total of 14 years at this point. And, and he decides, okay, it's time for me to move on. I've completed my, my obligation. I need to go and make a life for myself. So in Genesis 30, verse 25, Scripture says, And it was when Rachel had given birth to Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Grant me leave that I may go to my place and to my land. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and I will go. For you are aware of my service that I labored for you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me on account of you. And he said, Specify your wage to me, and I will give it. But he said to him, You know how I served you and what your livestock were with me. For the little that you had before, or for the little you had before I came was has expanded substantially as the Lord has blessed you with my coming. And now, when will I also do something for my own house? And he said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, Do not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will resume pasturing and guarding your flocks. Let me pass through your whole flock today. Remove from there every speckled or spotted lamb, every brownish lamb among the sheep, and the spotted or speckled among the goats. That will be my wage. Let my integrity testify for me in the future when it comes before you regarding my wage. Any among the goats that is not speckled or spotted or among the sheep that is not brownish is stolen if it's in my possession. And Laban said, Agreed, if only it will be as you say. So again, right here, Laban's continuing to call Jacob's former ways before him to say, Okay, I agree, if only, if only you'll do what you say. Expecting him to be, again, a deceiver, even after 14 years. So I can only imagine that that had to, to wear on Jacob. Had to wear on him, but Jacob continued to, to walk uprightly and to continue serving Laban according to the, the, word, that he was, the word that he had committed to. And in this time, the scripture gives a, uh, accounts of 
how God caused the, the flocks to, to bear only according to what would really be strength and blessing unto Jacob, and that the weak of the, of the, of the uh, offspring would be colored such that it would go unto Laban. And in so doing, God greatly blessed Jacob and built up his house, built up his wealth to restore what was lost. So God supernaturally provided for Jacob just as he had done, just as he had prospered Abraham and, and had prospered Isaac, now he was prospering Jacob, restoring fortunes that had been lost. And then God tells Jacob that it's time to go back. Okay, in, in a dream, once again in a dream, God encounters, encounters Jacob. In Genesis 31, verse 10, Jacob is explaining to his wives, wives that it's time to go back. And within it, he recounts a dream that he had from the Lord. He says, it once happened at the mating time of the flock that I raised my eyes and saw in a dream. Behold, the he-goats that mounted the flock were ringed, speckled, and checkered. And an angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob. And I said, here I am. And he said, raise your eyes if you please. And see that all the he-goats mounting the flocks are ringed, speckled, and checkered. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, and where you made me a vow. Now arise, leave this land, and return to your native land. So God gave him direction in the dream to return back to his native land. And so Jacob takes his, his wives with him and sneaks away in the night because he knew that Laban's countenance toward him had changed and that uh, Laban recognized that although he had initially been, been blessed on account of Jacob, now because of his treachery toward Jacob, he had lost the wealth that he once had and, and that God had transferred the wealth unto Jacob to bless him before he sent him back to the land. So he left as, his own, as a matter of self-preservation and when Laban found out, he pursued Jacob to overtake him. And when he did, well, so again, as he's pursuing Jacob, he gets warned in a dream not to do anything, not to do any harm to him. So he overtakes him. And then Jacob defends himself against accusations of theft and of wrongdoing. And Jacob really presents a case of, of the righteousness that he has walked in for these 20 years. In Genesis 31, 36, Then Jacob became angered, and he took up his grievance with Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, What is my transgression? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? Though you have felt, though you have felt through all my goods, what have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen, that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten the rams of your flocks. That which was torn of beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I have been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters 
in six years for your flock, and you changed my wages ten times. I believe in the, believe in the Hebrew it says more than that. But if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been for me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. So Isaac, or excuse me, Jacob was presenting to Laban his case of how faithfully and dutifully he had served Laban, only to be so mistreated, and that God had God had judged in Jacob's favor over Laban, that Jacob had been rewarded for his righteousness, for his truthfulness in all of his dealings, and that God was a shield for him in the midst of his enemies, those who sought to defraud him plunder him, perhaps even kill him, right, as Laban pursued him. But God protected him and upheld his promise that he would guard over him wherever he was to go. And our portion ends with Laban and and Jacob making a, a covenant not to pursue one another or to do each other harm. And Jacob's now on the brink of returning back to the land that he was promised to receive for him and his descendants. So within all of this, again, kind of circling back to what we started out talking about, I really do believe that that encounter that Jacob had with God was pivotal in preparing him and equipping him for what he was heading towards, to give him that renewed hope. At this point in time, again, he didn't have a new name, but he did have an, he was a new creation. He, he had a new attitude, a renewed mind, one that was set on the Lord and on, on his will and saying, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to let you be my provider. I'm, he just said, I'm placing myself wholly in your hands. And so when I, when I look at that, I, I, I see the connections between what we have through Yeshua just as Jacob, again, was in his lowest spot, without hope, without anything that his hands could do for himself. God reaches down, bridges the gap, and lifts him up on his feet. Because you know how we read that, about how Jacob lifted his feet and he headed out? And in that, I hear hope. And that's the newness of when God speaks to us, when he breathes upon us his life. And he says, I know what you've done, but I don't condemn you. You know, just as Yeshua encountered the woman in John 8, who had been accused of adultery and was brought before him. And no one stood to accuse her after they realized they had all been disqualified. Yeshua asked, you know, where are your accusers? And she says, there are none. So he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more, right? The key there was to go and sin no more. It was leave behind your old life. Turn from your old life and walk in the newness of life that comes with, with this renewal that only God can bring. Now, within the aspect of the new creation, if we read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, 
The scripture says, therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Messiah and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Messiah reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So again, that which we couldn't do, the Lord accomplished through Messiah to bring us to him, to give us the word of reconciliation. I do want to jump over to Ephesians 4, verse 22. You know, just as Jacob left behind his old way of deceit, we leave beside, or we leave behind the nature that we walked in, right? And take hold of what God has laid before us in his righteousness. Ephesians 4, 22 says, In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor be, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Messiah has also forgiven you. You know, within, these, within this passage, there's, there's a recognition of a, of a new self, right? And a new identity that we walk in. And within that, there has to be a setting aside what lays behind and a looking forward to what lays ahead. Part of that has to be a forgiveness of ourselves. Part of it has to be a forgiveness of ourselves, but then also, too, here, there has to be a forgiveness with our neighbor. It has to really go both ways. Knowing, and, and within that aspect, for this aspect of forgiveness, there has to be a belief that there can be a difference on the other side. It's a, it's a belief in God's ability to change you, and it's a belief in God's ability to change others. Right? And the task sometimes seems great from both perspectives, right? <laughs> but, the, but the thing is, just as God told Jacob that he was with him, he said, I'm with you. He says the same thing to us. I'm with you. I will be with you. I will bring forth what I have said regarding you, the hope and the future, goodness and blessing. And in Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians 4, kind of rounding it all out, the scripture says, 
My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Messiah Yeshua. And now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Did anybody have anything that you wanted to share? Um, so I have not heard of the, the Midrash before that was explaining uh, Esau's son that came before Jacob to try to kill him. Uh, but it really does add things up uh, just definitely thematically and also looking at like the honor and shame perspective. Uh, and then also from the matter of the heart, uh, faith requires a great deal of surrender and sacrifice. And to notice that he would have had all of that wealth, but then finally have surrendered it to kind of have like a death happen. So then he could become the man that was worthy of the mantle of Israel. You know, <laughs> that was a connection you helped me make and awesome. I mean, yeah. fantastic. Thank you. Oh, praise God. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. It's, it's another picture of resurrection life, right? Yeah. Uh, the past few weeks we talked about how nothing's too difficult for God and he can bring forth life even from the dead, right? And so... Jacob was dead in, 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 a mat, in a matter of speaking. Yeah, in a meaningful way. Yeah, he'd lost everything. But yet God said, I'm with you, and I will still do according to what I've said. Ah, oh, praise God. <laughs> Is it? Okay. I guess as you we were going through it, I was just wondering if I, if I am reading this correctly, what would cause, um, well, it basically, it says, um, you will take a wife of the daughter, you will not take a wife of the daughter of Canaan, like he was talking um, to Jacob about that. And then Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan were bad in his eyes, of his father's eyes, he went to Ishmael and took one of his daughters, like Mm -hmm. it would be his aunt. Is that correct? The way that it is? Why would he not go somewhere and take a daughter as well? But he just... Looked like he turned into like to his family and. Well, so he did go. Okay, so he did go take. Um, I guess technically it could be an aunt or cousin, depending on. Because uh, it was Ishmael's daughter. Ishmael's daughter, right? So, it would have been. I think it's still a cousin. I think it's still a cousin when when uh, because it wasn't. Oh, I see. It yeah. was his grandfather's. Sure. Brothers child you know anyway so it's it's a cousin but (laughs) still so when we when we look at what happened with Esau you know we we tend to think of Esau as having been wicked and not denying that but in the in the case of having the the blessing taken out from under him the scripture doesn't talk about how wicked he was in that moment it talks about how he how he wept and cried out to his father and was like you not have a blessing for me, and um, so when when I see him going to take a daughter from Ishmael's offspring, I actually see in it an attempt to honor his parents' desire to take not from the daughters of Canaan, but from hey this is a this is a daughter still of Abraham through a different son. And so I see it as he was, he was trying to make amends. Um, so I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, or helpful? I, I totally see it. Um, it was like a compassionate moment. Like he like heard his father's, you know, and so he did something that would 
potentially bring honor to his dad. But I just was wondering why um, maybe Jacob went to, where did he go? Padan yeah. Aram? Uh-huh. You know. So uh, Jacob, or Isaac told Jacob to go back to Haran to, to get a bride. Um, well, let's see. So at the end of last week's portion... And hang on one second. Let me get over there to it. At the end of last week's portion in Genesis 28, Isaac summoned Jacob, blessed him, instructed him, and said to him, Do not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take a wife from there, from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Okay. So God instructed Jacob to go and take a bride from Laban's children. And was that what you were saying? I said that Esau went the opposite of what Abraham had told, I'm sorry, of what Isaac had told Jacob to do, which would have been a dishonor rather than honoring. It could be taken as dishonor too. He didn't take a Canaanite woman. He specifically stayed away from the Canaanites because he saw they were abhorrent. And so we could look at it as, okay, well, Esau said, okay, well, you don't like that? Well, how about this? Or, <laughs> you know, which actually in, it would have been easier to say, well, let me take more Canaanite wives. You know, because then explicitly he'd say, do you hate this? Well, you know, I don't know. There is a, a, a verse in Hebrews twelve sixteen which you know, we look at Isaac as a wicked man who was after, you know, the material things. That, but 2,000 years ago, whoever wrote Hebrews also had the same perspective. As says, I see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal saw his inheritance, right, as the oldest son. And it said that his whipping uh, was that he wept without finding a way to repent. Like, he wanted the blessing really bad, but he wanted to, he didn't want it to change his ways. Um, uh, so just pointing that verse, it's the Hebrews more. It's not just commentary. It's like two thousand years ago, they believed Esau was wicked too. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not not disputing that that uh, Esau was wicked, um, but there are still uh, commentaries that note how. The scripture didn't come and say highlight the wickedness in that moment. So I have two things real fast. Um, one is from what you were talking about faith earlier about, you know, a second chance and that we have to believe in ourselves because so many times when we have doubts and stuff like that, that we can't be, um, you know, rectified. We can't come through it. And that's kind of that false fallacy that sits there. So we have to have faith in that, yes, God is big enough to change everything and that we are able to establish. So, And I think it's also that faith in the neighbor. I really enjoyed that part as well, too, because I think once it's our goal and our job also to just um, to also pray for our neighbors and to love them as well, too. And as we see God work through them and stuff like that, how much more does that strength, faith in us and strengthen us that God is rectifying us and changing us and doing that? So I think those are some really cool things that we just have to, again, just meditate on and think about that, too, and powers. 
Yeah, my other question was just this, is that I was just, um, and this is part of, we didn't get into this and stuff like that, but I know the, the matriarchs, of course, is Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, Rachel, but I also was just noticing that, you know, the, the maidservants also gave birth to a lot of the sons of Israel as well, too. Mm -hmm. And the question is, why aren't they a part of the actual matriarch process even to, does that make sense? Like, you know, because it's, I think that's an important factor right there. Because if you have Dan, Gad, all these individuals that have play roles within the actual embodiment, it just expands that, that house. And I just don't know why they're not also part of the matriarch. That's it. Yeah, I don't know the, uh, probably the, the proper answer, but in one aspect, um, when you remember when Rachel gave, uh, gave her maidservant to Jacob, she said, take her and she will bear for me, right? So that I will have a child upon my knee. So it was regarded as though their offspring were unto their, their, their mistress. Now, I mean, granted, they still did. I mean, four of the offspring came through the maidservants, right? Two on each side, but I believe it was because their children were attributed to their, their mistress. I just wanted to reiterate what you were saying. I feel like the spirit was laying it heavy on my heart. I really love how you're putting overarching themes with each week, like um, last week the prayer, and this week how you began with, oh, we, we can be overcomers of the past, and we can press on for the future. And I just wanted to, I don't know, I felt like it's been a theme in my life, so I don't know if that's more what I'm feeling or if someone really needs to hear that you can overcome the past. And um, in particular, the scripture you gave us, Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, it said, um, the end was so impactful to me. It said, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I mean, it's pretty miraculous. Like our God can make way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert, and he can do it pretty easily, and he can help you overcome whatever you have in the past. And um, so I just invite you, like I, we get to hear Chris's testimony a lot because you get to speak a lot, which is so awesome. And they have, and Franklin's have such amazing testimony, but I know there's a lot of testimony in this room, and I just want to put the invitation to have a culture of sharing testimony because like you said, it encourages, like even when you pray for others, it, it's encouraging to hear the testimony of others, um, big or small. So please share that, like if you um, do have testimony. And um, if anyone needs prayer today, I want to invite you to just ask for prayer. I'd be happy to pray for you. Anyone in this room would be happy to pray for you. So I want to send that invitation to you. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So connection time. Uh, also, I appreciate that. I will be coming forth with a testimony at the end of this. And also, I have a friend that is in dire need of prayer. Uh, so, uh, you mentioned that uh, the place, uh, that uh, phrase in Hebrew is makom, mm -hmm. is uh, the, the, their, the place that uh, he, was, he had his dream at was apparently Mount Moriah, which, uh, just to kind of put things together, is uh, one of the mountains that Jerusalem rests on, which is really great. You have Zion, and you have Moriah, and then you have the Mount of Olives behind it. Mm -hmm. um, so that actually kind of blew my mind, because I didn't know that. But I do know those mountains. So uh, just kind of, you know, small world. Uh, that being said, uh, to, to now say that, yes, uh, to see Jacob as an overcomer and to know that each of us is, uh, are overcomers in the spirit, 
uh, I was uh, walking out, overcoming my own fear and being able to surrender that. Uh, this will tie into the, the prayer request. A good friend of mine uh, has recently been incredibly depressed and has uh, finally come to uh, contemplating a very serious uh, suicide. So uh, it, it was last week uh, that he uh, thankfully told me that he was right there making the decision. And uh, I was not sure what to do. I did not know how to feel. I immediately just kind of freaked out and went immediately into fear. Um, and I said, there's no way I can do this. I can't help him. I don't know what to say. I'm his friend, but I'm worried I might say the wrong thing and you know, it could compel the opposite. Uh, and I kept saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. Until I can't clicked, because I can't. None of us can. I wasn't gonna be able to do a single thing for him until I just surrendered that fear and said, for whatever reason, I'm the one that has been put in this place. I'm going to answer the call, and I know that you can help me. Amen. I can vacate the vessel. You know, I'm going to decrease. You're going to increase tenfold. It's going to work out. He chose life, and that was a fantastic thing. Hallelujah. If you guys could just, I mean, pray for him like he's your son. He's, he's in a vulnerable place, but I know that in times like this, this is where we discover that Lord's provision is all we've ever needed. So that's all I'm asking, and that's what I've been praying for. So. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And it's, it's so true. It's like, it's, God will give us the words. His words are life, right? Oh, and it's sure. like our words, maybe not, but his words spoken through us, yeah, those are life. Praise God. So let's, let's say a quick prayer. Um, so, Lord, we... We give you thanks and praise for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you encountered Jericho. Lord, I thank you that it is your desire to reach down and to meet each and every person, Lord, wherever they are in their life, wherever, uh, whatever challenge they face, whatever darkness seems too great or mountain too big. Lord, I thank you for bringing Chris into the right point or for even spurring Jericho to call Chris, Lord, and that you would uh, give Chris the words of life and trust in you, Lord, that you would provide. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement and the life that you brought to Jericho. I pray that you continue to strengthen him and sustain him, to show him that you are with him. And Lord, I ask for you to reach out to so many right now, Lord, who are suffering from depression or who are in dark spots, Lord, where uh, health or finances or relationships have brought them to a point of despair or any other manner of whatever has brought them to despair, Lord. I ask for an outpouring of your spirit to bring refreshing and renewal, to bring hope, to bring hope in you, to bring hope for change, Lord, for the power to overcome Thank you, Lord, that Yeshua came to destroy the works of the enemy. The works of the enemy are death, but your words, Lord, are life to those who find them. We ask for your words to be proclaimed, proclaimed, Lord, over all, that your light would shine. We thank you, Lord, that you, you hear our prayer, that your desire is for us. And Lord, I ask that you would encounter each person in this place and on the live stream and those who aren't with us 
Lord, that you would meet them in their, and wherever they are right now, Lord, to speak your life and truth to them. Pray that you would guide and direct us on the week ahead. Lord, that we would be attentive, listening to your voice, that we would seek to know you, to hear you, and to go according to your righteousness, Lord, forgetting what lie in the past and just pressing on toward what you have laid out before us. We give you glory and thanks in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.